Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guest is Hedrick Nichols. She is an author and educational consultant, helping teachers and districts amplify the voices of all students. With her solution tree title, Finding Your Blind Spots, Eight Guiding Principles to Overcome Implicit Bias in Teaching, Hedrick combines her experiences as a, quote, one Black friend and educator with academic research and pedagogical strategies to ensure that educators have the skills and knowledge they need to create more equitable classrooms and campuses. Her five social justice titles with Cherry Lane Publishing further support these goals in the classroom. Her workshops and courses are highly sought after because she sees it as her mission to promote unity, even when teaching on topics are considered divisive. Hedrick received her master's of education at Texas A&M, and she is also uh, a music educator. She was a music educator and a Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter. Welcome to the podcast, Hedrick. Thanks, Dana. Glad to be here. Well, tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. Man, my, <laughs> my life has had a series of trenches at some point or other. Uh, let's see, how about a recent trenches moment? Um, I'll talk about a student that I had who was really struggling. And, you know, every now and then there's a student who really triggers you as well as a human being. And we had that kind of a constellation. And she would have, she was a middle school student, but she would have almost toddler massive meltdowns. Just, mm-hmm. and um, finally, when I stopped trying to make sure that she was regulated and be, you know, the authority in the room, when I finally gave her some space mm-hmm. to gather herself to you know what I see this is I see this is this is you know this this is difficult for you let me have you step outside why don't you take a quick walk grab some water and come back and when I began to to give her some trust and support as opposed to doing my very best to steely by sheer sheer will to get her to regulate (laughs) things began to change Mm -hmm. and so we finally, we even set up a signal so she could, she could just say, Nichols, I, I, I got it. Okay, fine. Go ahead and go. It's all right. And so little by little, we had, we built a, a really strong relationship out of that. Mm-hmm. And the next year, it was funny when she was having those moments in the other classes, she would come and say, hey, can I please just work in your room? I got kicked out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> said, Let me check with your teacher. And if they say it's okay, then yes. And, you know, we have a back channel, back check channel, of course. And that was always uh, uh, okay with other teachers. And it just really allowed me to see that sometimes, I don't even know how to say, sometimes really just building the relationship little by little and trusting someone as opposed to being angry at them for disrupting your lesson. Mm-hmm. makes so much better and so she was yet even now I've, I've seen her a couple of times out in the in the city and she was Nichols. it's just and I would have never thought that the first mm-hmm. couple of months that I that I had her in class mm-hmm. and it, it, I'm literally I go home stressed every day 
<laughs> well, it is uh, building that strong relationship and uh, finding what works with the student, right? And like there, you had to uh, let go of your control. You had to let go of some of those tools that you'd used in the past. <laughs> really find out like what she needed. Because I mean, I'm you know, I'm old school, mean and scary. That didn't mm -hmm. face her at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I talked uh, a little bit in the bio, you have a Small Bites LLC. So you provide keynotes and PD courses for schools and districts on equity, restorative justice and student engagement. So talk to me a little bit about what you do on a regular basis uh, in your consulting with schools, maybe what uh, the greatest need is a lot of districts have and um, how you approach your work. Mm, two very different questions. How do I approach my work really from a half researcher, half personal point of view? Um, I think that a lot of my experiences as a student, as a teacher, as a, a, a campus leader, and as a parent mm -hmm. led me to the work. And then I approach it in a way that honors I'm going to use this 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 phrase because it was absolutely awful. Um, Donald Trump once said, "There are very fine people on both sides," mm. and this was after something very awful yeah. had happened, and the country was looking for him to condemn one side or the other. I think that should have happened, but when I think about that thought, mm -hmm. almost everybody, even the most evil person, is usually doing things because they want a better world for their children. They want mm -hmm. better uh, for the new generations than they had themselves. Those kinds of things are common to us all. And so the way I approach the work is that there are no evil people. They are just people doing some wrong things for some probably very good reasons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that allows me to tap into some empathy to, to understand logic that I might find in, you know, in a, a, with my group of coffee girlfriends, completely illogical and even heinous, mm -hmm. but it allows me to approach that. That's, that doesn't help. You know what I mean? Judging yeah. their behaviors is awful does not help. Acknowledging that in that horrible crowd of people, there were parents who were doing the best that they thought they could do for their kids. Mm -hmm. And when you realize that, if you can get to a place that mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. there, you can maybe talk to someone in a way that will allow them to understand why some of the choices they're making are detrimental. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting perspective to put on that. And I think it is difficult for uh, people to kind of see it that way, right? When there's so much division in the country, um, you know, and I, you know, you work with districts on topics that might be divisive in some areas of the country, um, so how, you know, if you're working in certain areas like that, uh, do you approach, um, different districts in a different way? And, you know, do they have ideas of how they want to implement, um, equity work or even just restorative justice work in their schools, or is a lot of you trying to guide them through that process? There are a couple of different, <clears throat> I can't call them strands mm -hmm. uh, approaches. There, there are a couple mm -hmm. of different approaches. There are people who are already on a journey who are doing work on their campuses in their classrooms and have some idea about how to create more equitable spaces for their, their students. Mm -hmm. And then there are people who are perhaps brought to this work because 
they have an overrepresented representation of students in SPED who are people of color or students mm -hmm. who are in exclusionary behavioral situations who are students of color. And those two groups of people definitely need two different approaches. Um, for the people who are there because the state said, hey, you guys need to do something, y'all are not doing good for other mm -hmm. populations, you have to really find that empathy piece. Mm -hmm. You have, there's just no way because you come in, for me, I'm coming in as the quote unquote woke Lord. <laughs> and I'm some, you know, some black kid, some black woman who just wants to try to tell people that they're bad and they need to feel guilty. And mm -hmm. I know what the wall already is. So I've got to find that empathy piece. One of the things I mentioned is, for example, um, <laughs> a, a child who's told, hey, guess what? You're going to be a big brother or a big sister. Mm -hmm. And that kid's like, well, why? I'm the baby. I don't need any. I don't want anybody else. <laughs> And we talk so often, for example, about white males. Mm -hmm. And we talk in a way that is, if you are a white male, unkind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, white males, males have had the power in this country for centuries. Mm -hmm. However, if you never thought that you were doing anything wrong and you're not a bad person, all you see is suddenly you're the bad guy. In every mm -hmm. room, you're the bad guy. And that's got to be burdensome as well. And so how mm -hmm. do we acknowledge those thoughts in a way that allows people who have been in power traditionally to mm -hmm. also see what the other side looks like? Mm -hmm. So there's that approach. And uh, again, tapping into the empathy is really, really important on that one. And on the other side, the empathy is, yes, there are victims. Yes, there are consequences that are of, of Jim Crow and slavery. <clears throat> and separation that are still impacting communities today. And no, we shouldn't have to wait another 50 to 100 years for things to change. Mm -hmm. However, you cannot drag somebody to change. Mm -hmm. What can we do? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, th so those are the two things, you know, what can you do? And what can you do to make sure that you don't just make folks mad? Mm -hmm. And so that mm -hmm. they can't hear you. Because the bottom line is, many of the people who have the most power are not interested in this message. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to, you've got to be more concerned about making sure that you're heard than just saying all the facts or telling all the, you know, all the things that are going on, because those are not the things that will get people to hear you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really like the uh, talking about like, uh, see it from all sides, right? Um, you know, there's um, having empathy for um, where people are, where they're coming from. Um, <laughs> don't necessarily pinpoint a population as a bad guy, right? Um, so, um, you know, so I think um, you, when we're, you talked to me a little bit in the pre-chat about the fact that we also want to make sure our teachers are trained in best practices when we're, um, looking at equity policies and restorative practices. So, um, you know, if we're working in a school that's um, trying to have a better approach and we have teachers, you know, a lot of um, turnover and there's a lot of people coming from different schools that may not have that background. How does a school approach this? Do they have a school-wide training or what would they do? This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Um, 
my district actually does do school-wide trainings and I've heard lots of positive things about it. Um, <clears throat> what I do think is I, I like, I like having affinity groups on campus because nobody can represent everyone. And when there are affinity groups, then people are allowed to say, these are the issues that I face on our campus as a, a black woman, as a, an LGBTQ person of non-binary gender. You know, when you have those groups, you get a whole lot more input from people who are really affected by the policies and protocols on a campus. So I, I like affinity groups. Um, I do think that just some, some basic ideas, Finding Your Blind Spots is a book that I've seen used over and over um, at campuses in a book study because it's basically uh, inclusive classrooms 101. <laughs> it really touches all of the, 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 the important places that teachers need to be aware of. Representation, um, whose stories are missing inside curriculum. What are the proper words that you use? For, for example, um, I saw um, there's a new policy that is giving $75 million to um, Native American nations who are being uh, affected by climate change. And everybody said Native tribes, all, everybody, several of the news outlets said Native tribes. And that's some, Native tribes is a phrase that's a little, it's a little dodgy because if you recall Disney, the Natives are coming, the Natives are coming. And so it, Native tribes kind of connects to some real stereotypes behind, you know, Native American culture. Whereas if you say even Native American tribes or, you know, indigenous peoples, indigenous communities, those things don't necessarily connect to, um, what do you call it? Uh, slurs of the past. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So and finding, you know, having comedy, you know, API, a lot of people don't know that that's a Asian American and Pacific Islands. So just having some, some general trainings on things like that, on what misgendering does and how to yeah. support your LG students, all of those kinds of things. So yeah, definitely some whole group training for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think a lot of, uh, maybe schools, maybe not districts in general, but when you're doing it at the school level, um, sometimes they miss that mark, right? They have the overarching kind of equity meetings or trainings, but like really diving deep into proper wording, um, how to, um, you know, know maybe some of the, um, um, you know, <clears throat> some of how, how, like, like you said, how, um, you know, when it comes to uh, gender and pronouns, things like that, or um, AAPI, like acronyms, things like that. Like not everybody, especially if you're new to education or if you're new, like in, in a working space, like, you know, young people that are coming in may not totally be aware of like how to approach that. So um, I definitely think that's really important. And you did mention, so your book, uh, Finding Your Blind Spots, um, you said is used a lot in uh, book studies, but you also um, have I've written some children's books about anti-racism anti and Black Lives Matter. So talk a little bit about those. A little bit. Um, I love talking about those because those are um, banned. They're both on banned book lists here in Texas. And so I kind of feel pretty important that my books were important enough to ban, but probably they haven't been read. It's just the titles and what is anti-racism and what is the Black Lives Matter movement. Those titles automatically call into question 
what are we doing to indoctrinate our children? So um, I love those because they're explainer books. And I've actually had adult book studies with what is the Black Lives Matter movement and what is anti-racism. And it's because um, I often say that being on the side of right does not make you win arguments. Knowing how to win arguments makes you win arguments. <laughs> and Black, Li what, Black Lives Matter was not the best choice of a slogan. Imagine if they had used best uh, Black Lives Matter too. Mm -hmm. Just that small addition yeah. would have made so much difference. It wouldn't have mm -hmm. been an either or. It wouldn't have felt like an either or to people who felt like it was an either or. But um, I, so I, I, in the book, I talk about Black Lives Matter really just means Black Lives Matter too. Mm -hmm. And I talk about how it's important statistics and it's in, written for grades four through eight about, and it's really great. Like I said, for, for adults who are new to it or, or who feel the concept is uh, divisive, not necessary that by bringing it up, we're mm -hmm. actually being divisive, those kinds of things. And so uh, I wrote both of those, that one and what is uh, anti-racism, just to explain the concepts, to give kids a chance to do some some extra work on their own, uh, knowing what it means to be an ally or to be supportive or how to stand up for someone. Again, very practical things, not just conversations mm -hmm. and knowledge, but real practical things that kids can get engaged in, that teachers can get engaged in, and that anyone who's reading or listening to a podcast about it can say, oh, wait a minute, that's a little something that I can do, that kind of thing. Yeah, and I think there's really not enough of those books out there for kids. Um, in school libraries, and I know, like you said, it is kind of like in, in a way it is a little bit exciting. Like you said, in parts of the country where you live that they can be on that band book list, but uh, for areas um, like where I live and work um, where they are able to have those in the library, you know, I think there's not enough um, information for kids to access that kind of explains, like you said, maybe say two, adding that uh, adverb to the slogan, right? Um, but just breaking it down for kids at that age. And, you know, they've heard the slogan, but really, um, what does it mean? Diving more into um, anti-racism and, you know, what does that mean for, for kids in this day and age? So, um, and people can access, uh, get those books anywhere, Amazon, and where, where books are sold. Are they, uh, are, are either the children's books, uh, scholastic books? Uh, no, there are Solution Tree, uh, not Solution Tree, I'm sorry, Solution Tree is blind spots, um, Cherry Lake Publishing, also okay. huge imprint, so um, Cherry Lake and Sleeping Bear Press, that's okay. from that imprint, and so you can get them on those websites, and of course, Amazon, and there are four, wait, one, two, three others mm -hmm. that are also explainer kind of books about Black history, one is about um, Black centers of wealth like Tulsa, one is about um, excellence in STEM with a lot of uh, even current mathematicians and science heroes. And the other one is about the Harlem Renaissance. Ah, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and when we had that um, 100 year, um, in, like last year when we looked back on the Tulsa Race Massacre and talked about everything that we found out and now that they're, you know, they're building uh, memorials and things like that. And just thinking back to me growing up and I spent a lot of my childhood in Tulsa and that was not mentioned in school. <laughs> right. I mean, even now, and that's why I say, you know, I, it's easy mm -hmm. for me to say 
there are two people who actually um, went after reparations in court. They're mm-hmm. still alive from the Tulsa massacre. Wow. Mm-hmm. And the city has been reluctant to give anything at all. And so that's what I, when I say seeing seeing empathy of both sides, yeah. I thought, OK, I started doing a land acknowledgement because I do my podcast from my house. Mm-hmm. And then I, I thought about it. So what is what, what would reparations look like? Well, what if someone from the uh, Caddo tribe came and knocked on my door and said, thanks, we heard you did your land acknowledgement. We're here to reclaim our land. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what? You know, we I think I, I think that's a great thing. And we should give land back. But do I want to be homeless? Do I, you know, what does that look like for the people who have to give the land back? And so while I I recognize the, while not even recognize, while I intensely feel the victimization that mm-hmm. occurs as a part of a, um, not at the top of the to- totem pole of mm-hmm. power person, I also have to recognize that when someone is in power, when someone is king of the hill, there are also thoughts and feelings that go along with that. And um, Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And then kind of looking back and saying, you know, the reparations need to be done, but also like, you know, there are houses now and there's neighborhoods and like this land, you know, the immigrants, uh, you know, the Europeans took it over and then, you know, the land has now been developed. So it's like, what do we, you know, that's that's a whole other topic, but yeah, exactly. kind of it's just way that. it's way more complex. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's just, <laughs> in principle, we should get it was stolen land. We got to give it back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if they come mm-hmm. knocking on our doors, yeah, what what does that mean? What does it look like? How mm-hmm. can we do this? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned you have the podcast uh, Small Bites. Uh, so what is your podcast mission? And do you interview others or is it mostly you speaking? It's mostly me. I do do special interviews. I did just did a wonderful one with Kevin Lightman, who is a burnout researcher. Mm. And he gave some wonderful tips for people who can, so that people can hopefully stem some of this flow of exodus coming right after Christmas. (laughs) Might be a little late, but um, just that kind of thing. But generally it's about me. And the mission is really just to provide five or six minutes of strategies that people mm-hmm. can implement right on the, it, it's, it, it drops Sunday night for 5 a.m. for Monday morning. Okay. And hopefully there's something that can be heard that can be easily implemented, not just conversation or a thought, but something that they can really um, put into practice and become better practitioners. Mm-hmm. Is this something you plan out kind of the topics or does it just come to mind kind of throughout the week and that's what you're going to talk about? Both. More, it's more usually I, tr- I try to be relevant to what's, whatever's happening. Um, but then I have certain things that I definitely, like I have uh, a topic list that mm-hmm. is ongoing and I'll pull from that. But almost always something comes up during the week and I want to talk about something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it can be um, difficult, though, to keep those two five minutes. Do you sometimes run over and speak for 20 minutes? If I did, like, for example, the interview with Kevin went about 20 minutes and I just did two, two eights. OK, so you really like to keep that time frame. So those I are do. just That's- snippets, you know, for those people who have short commutes and 
you know, they, they, they expect, you know, it's going to be short. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's just, it's a kind of a sweet spot somewhere between TikToks and a full blown podcast. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, it was great having you on and connecting with you and talking a little bit about your work out of everything we talked about today on the podcast. What's one, one thing you'd like listeners to remember? Um, that you can always get out of the trenches that the cool thing about being down is there's nowhere to go but up (laughs) as long as you're living just get up and keep trying and um like I said, I've gone through, we talked in the, in the pre-chat and I talked through several things. I talked how it was after I, I lost a husband in a foreign country before the age of 30 and getting up from that was so difficult. And mm-hmm. I just finally practiced a lot of gratitude sometimes for just the smallest of things and, uh, kept walking. And so I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Like it's, it's just move forward and uh, be thankful for what you have. Well, where can people connect with you? Oh, the neat thing is that my name is very unique. H-E-D is mm-hmm. Dora, R-E-I-C-H, Hedrick. And if you can spell that, you can find me. My website is Hedrick.com. My handles for all my social media are at Hedrick, Hedrick on LinkedIn, Hedrick on Twitter, Hedrick on TikTok, all of that. So learn to spell my name. <laughs> great, great. Well, I'll make sure I post those in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for being on the Out of the Trenches podcast today. It was a pleasure having you on. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Dana. My book, Out of the Trenches, Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. Get it now at amzn.to slash 3b7-2z. Again, amzn.to slash 3b7hx2z. Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at out of trenches PC. Thank you.